All right, let's turn in our Bibles, if you would, tonight to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture tonight, so I hope you have your Bible. And you may want to write some of these verses down to look at a little bit later. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is where we'll start tonight, and you'll want to mark that spot as our primary text this evening. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Tonight, with the Lord's help, I'd like to speak to you a little bit as we've been talking about dilemmas and doubtful things about a biblical philosophy of wealth. And this is a subject of some interest in many of our lives, and certainly it's something that we think about and discuss, and it's something that is foremost in the thoughts of many people in our society and in our culture. And as we think about the ideas that people have concerning a philosophy of wealth, there's two extreme views on either side, neither of which are scripturally balanced. One is the health and wealth gospel that is sometimes preached, and that's the idea that if you are saved and love God and are faithful to Him, then as long as you're right with God, He is going to make you fabulously wealthy. He's going to give you good health, He's going to give you all kinds of money, And you will be super, super wealthy. And the way that you'll know that you are blessed is by the amount of money in your bank account. So obviously, there's some problems with that philosophy. And we could go to the scriptures and point out some of those problems. But there is, is on the other side, another extreme view. And that is what we'll call the self-righteous view. Or sometimes it's seen as asceticism. And it's this idea that truly holy people are physically impoverished and don't have anything because that's what it means to trust God. It means that you don't have anything, and as long as you don't have anything, then you're really trusting God. But people who have things, they're not really trusting God. And so there's this idea that the poorer I am, the closer I am to God, or the more spiritual I am. And this is also not a scripturally balanced view. Both of these have some problems with them. And we want to look at the scriptures tonight and understand that there are some statements in the scripture which sound like if you are faithful to the Lord, he is going to give you riches. There are also some statements in the scripture that sound like if you are serving the Lord, then you're probably not going to have anything and you just shouldn't worry about it because God will take care of all your needs. And I believe the, the proper philosophy is somewhere in the middle between those two things. Uh, tonight we want to look at this, this subject from a scriptural view. Starting in 1 Timothy chapter 6, a very helpful passage. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. The scripture says this, "...but godliness with contentment is great gain." For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil." which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And then he goes on 
to contrast the pursuit of the man of God and urges the man of God not to be caught up with temporal things, but rather to focus on that which is eternal. So tonight, as we think about a philosophy of riches, let's first of all define what we mean by riches or wealth. And of course, we're primarily talking about physical riches or physical wealth tonight. And generally, when people think of physical riches or physical wealth, they think of property and possessions. And sometimes when we speak about wealth, we, we represent that by speaking about money or currency uh, because that is something, the valuation of which we all understand. We understand what a dollar is. We understand what $5 is, $100, a million dollars. Uh, well, not many of us understand what a million dollars is, but, you know, we have uh, some some foggy notions about what a million dollars might be. A uh, billion dollars. Have you ever seen those comparisons of how much larger a billion is than a million? I, I think it's fair to say most of us have no idea how much a billion dollars is. But a million dollars, that's, that, that's manageable for our brains. So we, we tend to, to speak about riches in terms of things like net worth. You know, how much, how much are my assets worth? How much money do I have in the bank? What's in my retirement account? Uh, what, what do I have stored up for the future? What, what could I fall back against? What are my vehicles worth? You know, these sorts of things. So physical riches generally is defined by what we possess in physical terms. Of course, the Bible speaks about spiritual riches, and we'll touch on this a little bit this evening, but spiritual riches... That is made up of eternal life and the benefits that come to those who are in Christ. Biblically, God speaks about these things as being true riches because they are not physical and they cannot be taken away from us. They are eternal. And we might point out as well tonight that spiritual riches really cannot be purchased with physical riches. So you can't buy your salvation you can't, you can't buy holiness with, uh, with giving extra money or something like that. So spiritual riches and physical riches are very different from each other. Today, if someone is rich, if we think of someone as being rich, we're thinking of that person having the ability to buy whatever they want or need. And perhaps we're thinking of them having many possessions, to many people, the idea of being rich is the idea of having financial security. Uh, and of course, we use that term, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but we use that term very loosely because there really is no such thing as true financial security. But many people are, are striving to have at least a measure of, of security or the idea that, well, if something happened, I would have something to fall back on. Now, what's interesting is that if you look back in the history of our country, and even just over the last, say, 80 to 100 years, the idea of or, or the, the measure by which we determine whether someone is wealthy has changed. And so, you know, things like the, the square footage of the average house in the United States of America has drastically increased. Uh, you know, in the 1940s and 50s, if you come across a house that was built in the 1940s and 50s in this area, it's usually a 900 square foot Cape Cod, and people would 
you know, they would save. That was the American dream to purchase that house, to raise their family there. Many of those people would retire in that home and eventually, uh, you know, would pass away and pass that down to their children. Today, you know, the average family is not thinking about how could I get a 900 square foot house to live in. Uh, most, Most Americans are living in much larger homes than that. We're driving more expensive cars. Uh, we, we have a higher net worth. And some of this is just a consequence of living in a country that financially is prosperous. And the United States of America is prosperous in many ways compared to many other places in the world. And so because of that, I, and I've said this before, and I know some of you probably bristle a little bit about this, But the truth is, just about every person in this auditorium would be considered rich in most places in the world. Because most of us are not worried about where our meals are coming from tomorrow. We have a secure place to stay. Uh, We have some money in the bank. We we, we We could purchase something. We could go to the doctor and pay the bills that would need to be paid if one of our family members got sick. And for many people in the world, these are things that are just out of reach because they don't have the resources to do even those simple things. And so in many ways, we're considered in this country, uh, most of us, as being rich. So that's riches. God, of course, is the one who provides all of these physical things. We know that God is the one who makes them all. For instance, you know, we could talk about real estate And real estate is something that people will sometimes measure to to find their wealth. But who made all the real estate? Well, it's God. It's God's. He made it in the beginning. He created it all. It all belongs to him. You're only leasing it from him if you own it. So you're you're leasing it first from the government, and then the government is leasing it from him. And uh, so it is all belonging to God. And, you know, there's these people who think, well, let's go back and figure out who the land belonged to originally. That's quite impossible. Uh, that, that's not something that any of us can do. Or you think about gold. And, of course, gold and silver and these kinds of precious metals or precious stones are found in the earth. And God made them all. The Bible speaks about our God as being the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the one who created everything. So riches really, if you, if you are understanding it biblically, riches ultimately come from God. Because everything is his, is his possession. Everything is his creation. Now, when we think about riches, then second of all, we need to consider some of the pitfalls of riches. Because clearly, and we saw it in the text that we read here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, there are many strong warnings about riches in the Word of God. God warns us about the dangers of riches, and truthfully, many people find themselves in the situation that is described here in our text, where they have fallen into the love of money And because of that, they have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. They have found themselves in a place of destruction and perdition. Even though they may be physically wealthy, they are spiritually impoverished. So some of the pitfalls of riches that we need to remember tonight, first of all, 
is that physical riches are temporary. They are temporary. You can maybe put a marker in 1 Timothy 6. Turn with me back to Proverbs chapter 23 tonight. Proverbs chapter 23. It, it is very important for us to understand tonight that whatever physical wealth we may accumulate in this life, it is only temporary. While you're turning, my kids, as they got older in VBS, caught on to the Bible bucks thing. And, and they would say things like, we get all these Bible bucks for the carnival, but we can never spend them all. No matter what we do, we can never spend all the Bible bucks. And, and of course, they're, they're kind of upset. And then they're like, and we can't use them after VBS is over. <laughs> right. You can't take it to the store. You can't buy something real with it. Now, we laugh as adults. But you know the same thing is true just on a little stretched out scale with the things that we value. Amen. So, you know, if you want to think about it, we're all saving up these bucks for the big carnival and one day we're leaving and those things aren't going to do us any good because physical riches are temporary. Proverbs 23 verse 5 says this, wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not for riches certainly make themselves wings they fly away as an eagle toward heaven and that's in the context of verse 4 where he warns us labor not to be rich be careful that you don't give your life trying to earn money because money is fleeting money is temporary money can quickly be gone. I remember reading a, a news article a couple of years ago about uh, these folks who, during the, uh, during the real estate bubble that happened back in 2008, went and cashed in all the value of their house and bought all kinds of things. And, you know, that in, in that time, many people saw the, the value of their home appreciate wildly. And the financial advice was go out and leverage that and put borrow against it and use it to get the things that you want. And I read, remember reading that article about multiple people who lost absolutely everything. Uh, when, the, when the bubble burst and everything crashed, they lost their house, they lost their job, they lost all the toys that they had bought, and they were absolutely crushed because they had built their life around all of those things, and they didn't know how they were going to restart. It's very unwise to put your confidence in riches because riches are only temporary. Riches are not going to last forever. They are, are really something, and we'll talk about this in a moment, they're really just something for us to use. They are a stewardship, something for us to use for a period of time, understanding that they are quite temporary. A second truth, if you turn to Luke chapter 12, another pitfall of riches or material wealth in Luke chapter 12, verse 16 Jesus was speaking, and that doesn't look like the right verse. Verse 15, I believe, is the one I'm looking for. 
Someone had come to him and asked Jesus to settle a dispute over an inheritance. And two brothers were fighting with each other over who should get what part of the inheritance. And Jesus refused to get involved in that. By the way, that's good counsel for anyone. If there's people who are feuding over an inheritance, stay out of that. I've seen some of the ugliest, nastiest things happen between family members who are fighting over their parents or their grandparents' money. It's absolutely awful. So in verse 15, he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. So he warns us about something, and that is physical riches can tempt us to covetousness. And covetousness is expressed in greed and stinginess and all manner of other sins. But physical riches have the ability to get a hold of your heart. And, and without you even knowing it, you, you just think you're doing business. You just think you're being wise and planning for the future. But one day, without you realizing it, those riches have just captivated your passion. And, and the, the way that you know is, it's all you think about. It's all you talk about. It, it, it's, it's all that's on your mind. It's, it's always there. There's something wrong if riches are the thing that is predominant in your mind. Beware of covetousness. Covetousness is when we desire more than God has provided. It's like, I don't have enough. By the way, you never will have enough. The eyes of a man are never full. And so physical riches are always calling us, you need more, you need more, you need more, you need more. We're never quite satisfied. Third of all, go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look at another verse later in the chapter. A third truth here about the pitfalls of riches. Physical riches can lead us to put our trust in the wrong place. And because of that, our heart will trend towards pride. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So those who are rich, there's a special charge or a special admonishment for them, and that is that you ought not to be high-minded. Rich people can tend to be arrogant because they're used to being able to buy whatever they want. They're used to being able to tell people, you do this and you do that. And and they expect that people are going to listen to them and that people are going to do what they want. And so they can become very arrogant and very cocky. Americans have a reputation for this when they're traveling abroad. Because Americans generally have this philosophy, you know, in places I have money and if I jingle the money in my pocket, people will jump and they'll do what I want them to do. That's an awful attitude to treat, to, to treat people that way because they have less than you do. Physical riches, though, can lead us to a place where we put our trust in the wrong place, where we start to trust in our riches. We have confidence. We say, my security comes from the things that I possess. That's a bad place to have security, and it can cause you to be proud. And so this is a pitfall of riches. Honestly, a lot of people would be better off being poor because the riches would steal their heart and would cause them to misplace their confidence. 
Fourth of all, physical riches bring out a spirit of comparison or competition with others. Because usually the way that we see physical riches is it's a measure of success. Psalm 37 verse 16 says this, A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. But in our society, it is a competition. Who's got the bigger house? Who's got the fancier car? Who's who's got more money in their retirement account? Who's getting the bigger salary? Who's bringing down more money at the employer? Who's good at generating more cash? And, and, And really, in our society, we've gotten to the place where we value people the most who can generate more money. And we devalue people who can't generate money as if there's something wrong with them or as if they have less value. This is a a significant pitfall of riches where we start to compare ourselves among ourselves. And the Bible tells us that is not wise. Now, one thing that you'll learn from the scriptures is there will always be rich people and there will always be poor people. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, the poor you have always with you. There are many people who have this idea, well, we'll just make it so that there will be no poor people anymore. The truth is, there always will be people who are richer, and there always will be people who are poor. There's nothing that we can do about that. It's been like that since the beginning of human history, and I suggest that it'll be that way till the Lord Jesus comes back again. But what we do find out is that rather than pursuing after riches in order to be successful, what a believer should be pursuing after is righteousness and godliness. A believer ought to be seeking to serve the Lord. And that brings us now to the benefits of riches. And let's think for just a minute about, is there any benefit of riches? Or should we just all renounce everything that we have? Let's cash it in, send it to somebody, and we'll, we'll put on sackcloth and ashes and go out and beg for, for, uh, for some money to buy food for our family. And that should be good enough. That's not a good idea, by the way. That's, that's not what the Bible... That's another extreme. So what are some of the benefits of riches? Well, we know, for instance that physical riches allow us to provide for our own needs and those of our family. And, and of course, I'm speaking about this in a, in a scale. But if you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5, you're in chapter 6. If you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 8, the Bible says, But if any provide not for his own, and specially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. In other words, it would be wrong for me to quit my job and say, we're just going to trust the Lord to provide for our needs. He's, he's going to take care of all the needs and, and then look at my wife and my children and say, I don't know what we're going to do, honey, but I know that God's going to provide. You say, why would that be wrong? Because I'm an able-bodied man. God says that you ought to work. And, and if I can go and work a job to take care of my family, unless there's something wrong with me, that's my job, that's my responsibility. And so I'm going to be out there, I'm going to be trying to earn enough money to pay for the needs of my family, which are not insignificant. 
Uh, it, it's not cheap to raise kids, to have a family. Uh, we all know that inflation has driven the cost of everything up. But that's the responsibility of the father, to care for the needs of his wife and his children. And physical riches allow us to provide for those needs. It's a blessing to go to the grocery store and not have to worry about, now do we have enough money in the bank to cover the groceries for this week? I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful that we have enough that we are able to provide for the needs of our family. And that is a tremendous blessing. Obviously, God says that having food and raiment, we should be content with those things. And we would, we would point out that that food and raiment is, is consisting of those things which are necessary for life, those things which are vital to our existence. And we could point out that part of that is a place of shelter. It's kind of hard to live in Pennsylvania without a house. Uh, you could try camping out, but probably around the second week of January, you'd get pretty cold. And so it's nice to have a place that is heated and cooled, a place where you can shelter from the, from the weather. Uh, in our day and age and in our culture, it is basically, I, I'm going to call it a necessity to have a vehicle because it's pretty hard to exist without a vehicle. In some places in the world, you could live without a vehicle and use public transit and things like that. It doesn't work too well in the United States of America. I, I guess you could probably find some way to get around it, but it's hard to have a job if you don't have a car and all those sorts of things. And so, you know, these things require riches. They require resources for us to be able to purchase them. So these physical riches allow us to provide for our own needs and for those in our family. Second benefit of riches is that physical riches may allow us to prepare for the future. So if we have enough income that we can take some of what we are earning and we can wisely put it away and invest it for the future, then we have to be thinking about, okay, the day is coming, for instance, when I'll no longer be able to work. The time is coming when, uh, you know, what would happen if I had an injury and I had to be out of work for a period of time? And you would say, well, I, I have some insurance for that. And that's a blessing if you do, but what if you don't? What if you don't have something for that? And what if GoFundMe doesn't work when something like that comes up? And so, you know, you're thinking about, okay, what happens in the event of these things? Uh, you know, you think about things like, uh, okay, our car has 180,000 miles on it, and uh, it seems reasonable to think in the next couple of years it's going to be time to replace that. Not usually a good idea to wait until it dies to go, oh no, where's the money at? But to be thinking, okay, let's, let's try to plan this out. We're probably going to have to replace this vehicle in the next couple of years unless the Lord just keeps it going. Sometimes, you know, some duct tape and WD-40 and it just keeps going. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, but, you know, but if you, have, if, if you have the foresight to plan for those things, this is where budgeting and wise fiscal planning comes in. But you have to have sufficient income to be able to do those, those things. So physical riches may allow us to prepare for the future. You think about expenses that may be coming up for your kids. And, you know, if we're going to help them with their education costs, if we're going to help them with, with 
Uh, one day, you know, our kids are going to get married. We want to be able to help them with those expenses and get, get a start in their life. Okay, so we're going to have to prepare for that. Physical riches are there to help us with those things. Third of all, physical riches can allow us to give generously to meet the needs of others. When we have something, then we have the ability to give. Now, this doesn't mean that only those who are wealthy can give, because the Bible has many illustrations and examples of people who gave, even out of a position of poverty, they gave and God blessed them for it. So we don't want to limit what God can do, but generally speaking, if you have some extra, then it can be a blessing to someone else. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, you can turn over there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more. So stealing is off the table, can't do that. Only the government's allowed to do that. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Why do we work? We work to obviously provide for our own needs, but also to be able to provide for the needs of someone else who may not be able to work. And it is true that sometimes circumstances come upon people. Sometimes they find themselves in a hard way through an injury or some kind of a downturn in their health or something like that. And they find themselves in a place of great need. And it's a blessing to be able to come alongside someone like that and help them out with some of the expenses that they have. And that's one of the blessings of being part of a, a church family is that we can encourage one another in that way. So physical riches can allow us to give generously to meet the needs of others. We can invite people over to our home and, and we can share a meal with them and not worry about where the resources are going to come from, those sorts of things. A fourth benefit of riches, by the way, that, uh, I should just back up a little bit, that giving generously to meet the needs of others is not just to meet the physical needs of others, but it's also the opportunity to give to meet the spiritual needs of others. And that's where giving to the work of the Lord comes in. And so when we have something then we can share that with others and God can use those, those financial resources so that other people can hear the gospel in places where maybe the gospel hasn't been preached before. And those kinds of things uh, cost money. It, it costs an investment uh, of finances to be able to do that. And so when we, when we have something to be able to give, that's a great blessing. We can be a part of that. The fourth benefit of riches is this, that physical riches can allow us to leave something for others. And I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 13. We said that riches are temporary and that when you die, you're not going to take them with you. We saw that very clearly in our text in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But Proverbs 13 says something interesting in verse 22. The Bible says, a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, 
and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. And there's a contrast that's being painted here, but I want to really focus on the first part of this verse. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. The idea is that he's, he's wise in what he does with his finances, and he prepares in such a way that he can leave something that will be a blessing not just to his children, but even to his grandchildren, something that to be able to be passed on to them. And, and I think, you know, we have to be careful about this because we all are familiar with stories where dad made it big or grandpa made it big and made a lot, a lot, a lot of money and then gave it to his family and they never worked for anything and they were kind of spoiled by it and they didn't appreciate it because they never worked for it and it wasn't, it wasn't that valuable to them. So we don't want to do that. But I think there's something to be said for planning with wisdom to be able to leave something behind to those who are left when we go on. And some of this comes into the wisdom of, for instance, a man carrying life insurance so that if something happens to him and he passes away suddenly, his wife has something to live on. It's a great tragedy when that happens, when a man passes away and then his wife is left destitute and has nothing. And so as men, we have to think about this. How would, how would my family be cared for if something happened to me? Uh, I, I would want my wife to be able to raise our children and not have to enter the workforce right away. And so we've got to think about those sorts of things. What can I leave behind? And all of this takes physical riches in order to prepare for you have to have something in order to make these sorts of plans. And these are benefits. Of course, remembering that the riches, ultimately, whatever you have, however much it is, it comes from God. He's the one who gave it to you. And don't ever put your trust in those riches because those riches are temporary. No matter how much you plan and you you, you figure it out and you, you, you put the contingencies in place and, and, and you, you have the security and all that sort of stuff. At, at some point, physical things are not secure. They aren't. I remember one time listening to a man, he's, he's incredibly wealthy, talking about how he was safeguarding his assets for the future. So for him, he believes that currency is all fake. So he is converting as much currency as he can into gold and silver. Except keeping gold and silver in your house is kind of dangerous, especially when you have the kind of wealth that he has. I would suspect he's probably a billionaire. And so his plan is he keeps his gold and silver in a vault in another country. And it's accessible by private plane. So if something happens, he can fly there and get his physical wealth so that he'll be okay if something happens. Now, you know, when all you have to trust in is your gold and silver, that's the kind of stuff you have to do. But when you start to realize even gold and silver isn't permanent, it's not going to last. So you might as well reckon with the fact that you need your security somewhere else. You need to have your confidence somewhere else. That's why we ought to trust the Lord and not in our riches. So now let's talk real quickly 
about some principles concerning riches before we bring this to a conclusion tonight. Three things this evening. First of all, you and I ought to view riches as a stewardship for this life that can have an eternal impact. Turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. There are many things that we're given as a stewardship. Money is one of them. Or as it is called in the scriptures, mammon. Luke 16, verses 10 through 12, Jesus said this, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. That which is least is money. And that which is much is the things that really matter. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? So if, you, if you're paying attention to the context and you're paying attention to the wording here, what Jesus is saying is, whatever riches you have is another man's. It's not yours. Whatever is in your bank account, it doesn't actually belong to you. It's God's. It's His. And, and He wants you to be careful to use that as a stewardship. He has entrusted it to you And he wants you to use it wisely. Use it for his glory. You see, when something is a stewardship, that means it's entrusted to us to promote the cause of the person who gave it to us. God is the one who gave it to us. That means that his priorities ought to be first and foremost in the way that we are going to be spending and investing our money. We want to make sure that he is glorified. But what we find in the context of this passage is that if we are wise in the way that we use those physical resources, we can actually invest them in such a way that they yield an eternal benefit. That they, 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 it's an amazing thing when physical riches can be converted to that which is spiritually valuable. And, And the Bible is clear that that is possible in this case. Most of the time when we think about physical riches, they're just temporary. They're only for this life. They're they're something that passed through our hand and then they're gone. But God says that if we invest it wisely in spiritual things, it can net a spiritual reward or an eternal, it's an eternal investment. And that is a fabulous thing. You ought to study it out sometime. We don't have time to look at all the verses that speak about that tonight. But God wants us to use our money in such a way. In other words, it's not your money to do with what you want. It's his money. You ought to ask him how he wants you to deal with that money. Maybe he has other priorities than you do. Maybe your plans are exactly what he has in mind. But at the very least, we ought to say, Lord, this is yours. What do you want me to do with it? How would you want me to spend it? A second principle that ought to be a guiding, a guiding light for us in the area of material wealth 
Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. And verse number 5, and that second principle is this, be content with what God has provided you. And and 1 Timothy 6 really talks about this, doesn't it? It is is wrong if you get yourself in the place of willing to be rich. They that will be rich bring all this calamity into their life. Sometimes people are just pining for money. They're comparing themselves against other people. Why do they have so much? Why are they so successful? Look at where they are. Look, look at my age and look at their age and look at their career and look at my career and why do I have so little and they have so much? You are in a bad, bad place when you find yourself with that spirit. Hebrews 13.5 says this, be con- let, uh, let your cover- conversation be without covetousness And be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. As a believer, what do you have? Well, you have all the riches that are available through Christ Jesus. You've been blessed with an eternal inheritance. God has promised to care for your needs. No, you may not drive the fanciest car probably not the smartest thing to do that anyway, unless you just have enough disposable income to justify that. Boy, I'm about to get off on a rabbit trail there. If you just be content, just be content with what God has provided. If you you can develop thankfulness, real gratefulness for that which God has provided, you don't always need something new. Now, The people who sell the things are professionals, literally, at getting us to want something new. And so when we we get on Amazon, they have a way of putting it in front of us, like, man, I've got to have that. I I need that thing. Or we go into the store, and I've just got to have that. I I, I think that's going to make my life so much better. I suggest that most of us are at the point in our life where we're only improving our life by very small increments, honestly, because we are so blessed in so many ways. I mean, there, arguably, there are things that have advanced convenience and made our lives easy. Like food preparation is so much easier today than it was 100 years ago. Uh, even, even getting food to your house the idea of going to the grocery store and buying the things that you need for the week and having cold storage and all this sort of thing. I mean, our lives have really, have really improved in a lot of ways and given us a lot of disposable time, time to be able to do things that we want, and yet we're still discontented. We still are unhappy. We still think, well, I've got to have this and I've got to have that. If I've got three cars, I need four cars. I need five cars. If I've got a 3,000 square foot house, I need a 5,000 square foot house. If I've got, if I've got a three car garage, I need five car garage. I, I need this. I need this. I need this. And if you're not careful, your heart will be drawn away after the things of this world. A man's life consisteth not in the things which he possesseth. Your life is not made up of the things that you have. So be very careful not to allow covetousness to overtake your heart. It's one of the most 
deceptive sins that we may deal with in this day and age. And the way that we overcome it is by practicing contentment. Be content with what God has provided for you. A third principle is this. Use generous giving as an antidote to covetousness. God knows that we need to fight against covetousness. And one of the greatest tools that he gives us for this, he commands us to give. Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, Paul was talking to some of the brethren and he reminded them of the words of the Lord Jesus when Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we all would say amen. We, we, we say amen, that's right. Especially if you want to give to me. You could be blessed if you would give to me. Boy, but when it's our turn to give, do we give generously? Do we, do we give without reservation? The truth is, I believe God will challenge us in this area and he will, he will challenge us in such a way that he'll say, why don't you give that? That, Lord? I, that's mine. I want to keep that for myself. I, I, I don't want to give that. I, that's, that's for me. And God reminds us, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. We can challenge covetousness in our heart by finding opportunities to meet the needs of others, by looking for opportunities to be generous with others. And this will help us to overcome our heart's desire for more, 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 more. Now remember tonight, you're not especially righteous if you're poor. That doesn't automatically make you right or, or better or, or more spiritual or more, more holy. You know, poor people struggle with covetousness just as much as rich people or middle-class people for that matter. Everybody, covetousness is an issue of the heart. But also be reminded tonight, it's not a mark of God's special favor if you happen to be wealthy. If, if you happen to have done really well in your life, it's not as if, look at me, I'm doing everything right and that's why God is blessing me. What's wrong with the rest of you people? The truth is, some of the greatest and most blessed people in the Bible were physically impoverished. And some of the most cursed people were fabulously wealthy. So riches alone are not an indicator of God's favor or the lack thereof. We do understand that whatever we have comes from God. We're thankful for whatever God gives to us, but let's not, let's not make riches. Here, here's, here's where I think we've, we've gone astray in our society. We've made riches the primary marker of whether someone is right with God. And if you're right with God, you'll have wealth. And if you're not right with God, then you won't have wealth. And that's not how it works biblically. That's not what God says. Riches are just a stewardship. God in his wisdom gives some people more than others. Some people that he allows to have riches, I can't figure out why he gives them riches. I can't figure out what are they going to do with them? They're just going to waste them. They're just going to consume them on themselves. Uh, they're they're going to use their riches to, to take advantage of other people and, and do things that are, that are not godly. I don't know why God does that. 
And other people, you look at them and you think, boy, God, if God gave them a gazillion dollars, they would use it for his glory. They would give everything away because that's the kind of person they are, but God doesn't give it to them. Instead, they struggle. They, they pray for their daily bread. That doesn't make them less of a Christian. So we've got to be careful about this, but we also have to reckon with this, this thing of riches. And if you find yourself, I mentioned this earlier in the message, if you find yourself constantly thinking about riches, constantly talking about wealth, constantly your, your subject of conversation is how to get more money, how to invest, how to do this, how to do that. Hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with talking about those things once in a while, but if it's the primary focus of your life, something is out of kilter. And you need to ask the Lord to help you with contentment and put him first again in your life. Turn back to our text, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. If you want to have great gain in your life, pursue after the character of Christ and be content with the things that God has given to you and you will find that your life will be supremely blessed. You may not have as much as the person down the street or across the block, but you will have everything that you need and you will be content with what God has provided. May God help us with this so that we can steward the things that he has given to us with wisdom.